0: Do you have an obstacle in your life that needs to be overcome? Now, it could be a river or a large rock, but I'm guessing it is far more likely to be less physical and probably something more mental, emotional, or spiritual. could be something like an argument with a friend or a family member that's not yet resolved. Or the self-discipline you just can't seem to find. Or a sin that you just can't seem to get away from. Maybe it's a situation at home or work that desperately needs resolution. We all have obstacles in our lives, things that get in our way, things that prevent us from accomplishing what we want, things that slow us down from where we want to go. Let me give you an example. This past Thursday night at our house, I'd had a really challenging day and was feeling pretty discouraged about a couple of situations, and I was really looking forward to a simple and a quiet night at my house. Now, as a reminder, I have three kids, nine, six, and four, five now. I came home, and my wife had made a really great dinner. I was super stoked. I thought we were going to have a really calm night. We finished dinner, and my son is working on his memory verse for school. This should have been my first indication. This is what he's memorizing. I should just make you say it. I'll leave you alone. James 1, 2 through 4. Count it all joy, my brothers when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now ponder that for a moment. Because somewhere around our table, between Pierce, Pam, and I, that verse was probably said aloud roughly a hundred times. You would think... We would be ready to count any trial, any challenge, any obstacle as pure joy. And yet, when one of my daughters came running in from outside with muddy boots on, trying to get to the bathroom on time and didn't get there on time, all of a sudden I had a trial. And I wasn't counting it as joy. For what I'd hoped for had been exchanged for frustrations. And I assure you there's nothing in that moment that made me consider the promised land. This morning as we step into Joshua 3 and 4, as we continue our series in the promised land, we're going to find an obstacle in the path of the Israelites And I believe that as we look at this text this morning, we'll find some encouragement for our own obstacles. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Joshua 3. Let me remind you, if you haven't been with us, I can't catch you up in Joshua. The Lord has raised up a man named Joshua, whose name means Yahweh is salvation. And he's called Joshua to finish the work that Moses started, to bring the Israelites out of slavery... Moses took them all the way to the precipice of the promised land, but never entered it. And so he finishes that journey. For the 40 years that they had left and wandered in disobedience, Joshua finishes that journey. And you remember from last week that Joshua had sent two spies into the land to check it out. And in doing so, we found the incredible story of Rahab, the lying prostitute, who ends up being Jesus' great-to-the-26th-power grandmother and whose faith is remembered twice in the New Testament. There's phenomenal stories in the book of Joshua. We'll pick her story back up in chapter 6. But it's these spies that come back at the end of chapter 2 to return to Joshua that set the stage for us in Joshua 3 to watch them cross the Jordan River. Joshua 3.1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shatim, And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. Now the second verse will tell us they camp here for three days. Now no doubt it's going to take some planning to get now the estimated 1.6 million people that are gathered here in a campsite across the river. And based on the timing given by the text, we would know that this river is at a seasonal high filled with the melted snow off Mount Hermon in the north, amounting to what is a large and fast-moving river. To help give you the picture, I want you to imagine trying to move the entire population of North and South Dakota across the Red River when it's at its highest level. Assumably in this story, Minnesota is the promised land. Do with that as you will. But you get the idea, it would take a miracle. For to take one person across a big river would be enormous. To take a family would be enormous. To take 1.6 million across it, God's going to have to do something. And I have no doubt in this verse, we pause here for a second to acknowledge this. Because I have no doubt that for three days, many an Israelite did what exactly what it is that you and I would have done. They probably stared at the river. And the longer they looked at it, the more and more hopeless they felt. The promised land, God, you're calling us to something, and yet there's an obstacle in their way. Somewhere in this, we immediately need to rewrite how we view the faith. Because some of us get this idea that in Jesus, everything is smooth and simple. And if and if I'm being blessed, it should just be a downhill run. And there's nothing further from the biblical truth than that. God's calling them, He's blessing them, and He puts a huge river full of snow in front of them. We tend to stare at insurmountable obstacles and dwell on their insurmountability. We see them for their impossibility. Which is to say this, we don't often see things from a perspective including Christ. Often when I'm meeting with people or counseling with them and we talk about hard situations, they'll forecast an entire situation, they start to look at what's going to happen in their life as if Jesus will not be with them, as if the Holy Spirit will not give them power or strength, and as God has turned his back on them. We tend to do this, don't we? We minimize God's presence in our life such that we don't consider his involvement when we look at hardship, when we look at difficulty. And I think for these Israelites who didn't have a Red Sea experience, you might remember the generation died in the wilderness, God wants to show them his power. He wants them to have a a picture in their mind of his willingness and his ability to be sufficient for them. That he will be with them, that he will give them strength and power, that he will provide, and that's what happens in this text, verse 2. At the end of three days, the officers went through camp and commanded the people As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Now that's an interesting strategy. For if you were to go into a country to try to conquer it as God had commanded you, you might think leading with your army would be a good idea, but that's not their idea. No, they want to be led by the Lord, so they take a box, symbolizing God's presence, symbolizing God going before them, symbolizing everything about who God was. They wanted that, the presence of the Lord, not their army, not their men of valor. They wanted the presence of the Lord to go before them, and they were going to follow it, because he was their leader. Verse 4. And yet there shall be a distance between you and it about 2,000 cubits in length. And I'm guessing you don't use cubic as a standard measurement in your house. I didn't. But this is roughly a half a mile. This is no small amount of space after the Ark of the Covenant, before the people fall in. It's not like they were trying to hide the army behind the Ark. I think it's because they wanted the greatest number of people to see God work. I think they wanted to create the space to see what would happen when God would do something. The text continues, do not come near it in order that you may know the way you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. God's taken you somewhere new. And he wants to show you how to do it. And Joshua said to the people, verse 5, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Consecrate yourself, Joshua says. Get washed up. That's what it would mean in the Old Testament to purify yourself. That there'd be a, a list of things you'd do to purify yourself. There'd be a list of things you'd abstain from to purify yourself. That you'd set yourself apart distinctly. Why? Because you were expecting that the Lord would do wonders among you. Church, what do you expect from God? Not enough. Thus saith Paula. This is the most challenging part of the text for me as I leaned into it this week. Consecrate yourself, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you the people of Israel were to expect God to do a miracle. Now if you've been reading along in the text, if you've been following along, you need to know that God has not told Joshua what he's going to do. He's not operating on a specific word from the Lord. He's just trusting him and walking in obedience. He's trusting him. Expecting God to show up to move. And as we talk about dealing with our own lives, our own obstacles, and our own challenges, I want you to consider this word. I want you to consider the idea of preparation. How is it that you can be prepared to handle the obstacles and the challenges that will come your way, be it a river or otherwise? Perhaps a potty accident. How can you be prepared? And I would say that if we look at Joshua, if we stare at him in the midst of this story, we would see a man who saturated himself in the law of the Lord. Remember chapter 1. And he believed in the Lord. And that belief was not a stagnant belief. It was an active belief. It was a trusting belief. It was a step out in faith knowing that God would give him a firm step every time he put one foot in front of the other kind of belief. He expected God to move. Church, we need to reorient ourselves a little bit to an anticipatory place. Praying seeking, and looking for God to move. I think that's how Joshua was prepared here. I think he knew God's Word, I think he believed God's Word, and I think he trusted God's Word. That's how I want us to be challenged by this text. That we would take God at His Word, to believe His Word, and then to expect that He'll keep His Word. Want a funny pastoral secret from me? I'll give you one. This is my sticky note. You know what it says? I'll read it to you. Isaiah 41.10 Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Do you know that I'm actually terrified at times to talk to people? Like this is not my natural bent. And there are times when I've got to stand here and proclaim God's word to you and I'm afraid. It's hard. And so I put this here to remind myself to trust him. To trust him. That I'm not to be dismayed, because He's my God. That I don't have to lack for strength, because He's going to provide it. That in this moment of preaching God's Word to you, and putting God's Word before you, I feel helpless. God says, I am your help. When I feel like I'm about to fall down or fall apart, God says, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So I, I stand here to proclaim God's Word for you, believing in my heart that He's holding me up. And that's not a preaching word. That's a life word. For you in any situation, I suggest you get a sticky note. This is me trusting him. Believing in him in an active way. Not just passively saying, God, I know you're true. God, I know you're going to do something. But to actively engage my fear, actively engage my challenge, my, my, my insecurities. And to actively trust him. To believe his word and to expect that he will keep the very promises he makes me. Let's keep moving. Joshua 3.6. And Joshua said to the priest, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the ark of the covenant and they went before the people. They started moving. This is faith lived out, that they believed these promises. They started stepping out as if these promises were true. They were believing God for what he said. And remember this, they still have no plan, but they're walking forward. In 1804, a commentator named George Bush, not that George Bush or the other George Bush, a totally different George Bush because he's alive in 1804, wrote this about the book of Joshua. It says, duty often calls us to take one step without knowing how we shall engage or how we shall take the next. But if brought thus far by the leadings of providence and while engaged in his service, we may safely leave the the next event to him. George Bush says, put one step in front of the other. And when you've put one foot in front of the other in obedience, and you've trusted the firmness of your step in under your right foot, then you can be confident as your left foot starts to extend, though you may not know where it's going to land, but that because your right foot is steady, your left foot will be steady also. Now I should assure you, according to the rest of the New Testament, it may well be that you fall flat on your face. There's nothing in Scripture that says you won't. But he'll use it to grow us, to shape us. We'll keep talking about that as we move through this. They have no plan, and yet they're stepping out, they're trusting him. And finally, in verse 7, the Lord speaks into this situation, saying, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Still no plan. But I want you to see this, because this is way better than a plan. Do you see his presence? Friends, his presence is far better than any plan you'll ever get. I want you to know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you, verse 8. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the break of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Let's pause for a second. Remember, Moses led the Israelites to the Red Sea. remember we joked about the awkwardness of the plan of hold your stick up? That there's a faith moment like, please God, do something. Look at this plan. Tell the priest to go stand in the water. That's a plan. Trust God. I'll be with you. Tell the priest to go stand in the water. That's it? Thank you. It kind of doesn't make sense, does it? And yet, we see Joshua trusting God, walking in obedience. Do you require the whole plan to be obedient? It's a good question. Worth some consideration. The psalmist in... Psalms 119 would remind us that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. His word lights our path. It gives us direction, but it doesn't give us a destination. We need to trust that. And here in Joshua 3, he gets a word from the Lord. Tell the priest to go stand in the water. Doesn't question that. Do they need boots? What should they take? what comes next, what if they ask, they just go with it. The word was light to his path and he followed it, verse 9. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Gergeshites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Now before you get caught up into all the ites of that passage and how it is I know how to pronounce them, I want you to lean into that text for a minute because what Joshua says is, as we're going to go stand in the water, our God is going to be faithful and he's going to do something and the stuff that he's going to do is going to be a testimony to you that as you continue to go on, because as you see the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Amorites, and Jebusites, those are all going to be difficulties and challenges that are before them. As you go in our faithfulness, if you want to know if God's going to continue to be faithful to you, I want you to remember this. I want you to hold on to this. And he reminds them of all these promises that God made through the book of Deuteronomy to Moses about the people. He's not just making this up. He's not ad-libbing or adding to the words of God. He's taking God's word. He knows God's word. And he puts it all together to say, God will be faithful to you. God will provide. Verse 11. Behold the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all consider this we have no record of god telling him this will happen but he did know what god did at the red sea it's actually the other place you see the word heap in the new testament what god did at the red sea he watched it, he believed it, and he trusted that it would happen to it. He saw at the Red Sea he carried into this moment the same thing he's urging these Israelites to do, that God's going to do something, and I want you to carry it forward so you'll remember his faithfulness. So they step out in verse 14. And so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, And as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows all of its banks through the time of the harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam. We should pause for a second here and just interject this because it won't fit anywhere else. The fact that the Bible here talks about Adam, it's a very little known seed. This is the only reference to it in any of antiquities. And it's actually been found as, uh, archaeologically. And the only reference I've got to it is the Bible. So this is one of the places where people go, is the Bible authentic, authoritative? And you go, well, actually the Bible talks about a city that nobody else knew existed. And then we found it. So maybe I'm going to go with yes, but you, you deal with that. The water stood up and rose in a very heap at Adam. By the way, that city was flooded because there was large water that heaped there. Uh, the city that is by, beside Zareph and those flowing down from the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation one point six million of them finished passing over the Jordan. Friends, in the face of an obstacle, in the face of a trial, Joshua trusted the Lord, and he walked in obedience. And in his obedience, in walking out in active faith, he watched God move miraculously. And not just kind of like a little baby miracle, like a huge giant one. The priest stood on dry land. That'd be one thing just if the water stopped, By the way, that's happened several other times in history. There are at least 15 recorded times in history that they can look back on and see the Jordan River having stopped up and been plugged. December eighth, twelve 1267, it's recorded that an earthquake caused the high bank of the Jordan to collapse and it dammed the entire river for 10 hours. Not a drop got through. On July eleventh, nineteen 1927, another earthquake near the same location blocked the river for up to 21 hours. Sometimes, God uses natural events to allow for the supernatural to occur. Maybe an earthquake, maybe a mudslide, but not dry water or dry ground. See, God uses an event. He wants to give them confidence in him. And the confidence is not just that he could use something natural, like an earthquake or a mudslide to stop up this river, that we could all go back and go, yeah, but it was a mudslide. That's cool, doesn't explain dry ground. Doesn't explain the beach that they got to wade through on their walk way across. We do see this other places in Scripture, God providing dry ground in the Jordan. Centuries later the prophets Elijah and Elisha will cross the same river on dry ground to the east in second Kings two eight, and then Soon after, Elisha will cross back over the river on dry ground. It's very symbolic of God's presence and His faithfulness. The water stopped flowing is miraculous. The dry ground testifies that it's unmistakably the Lord who's intervening for His people, that it's the Lord who's providing for them, that's the Lord who is absolutely, completely, and totally sufficient. For these Israelites, crossing the Jordan River meant that they would irrevocably be committed to the promised land and everything that that entailed. Crossing this river put them in enemy territory. It meant that the struggle against armies, against chariots, and it meant the struggle against fortified cities was going to happen, and that they would be committed to walk by faith in the living God to walk according to his word, and to trust his promises. One of the commentators I read this week wrote this. For believers today, crossing the Jordan represents passing from one level of the Christian life to another. It's not a picture of a believer dying and entering heaven. For for the Israelites, Canaan was hardly heaven. It is a picture of entering into a spiritual warfare to claim what God has promised. This should mean the end of a life lived by human effort and the beginning of a life of faith and obedience. He points it out to us. It's to stop trying on your own and to start depending on the full sufficiency of God. Like, what he says, he's going to do. When he says, I'm going to help you, he's going to help. So you walk forward believing He's going to help. He's going to work. He's going to do. He's going to move. Chapter 4, verse 1. And when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and commanded them, saying, Take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. The Lord was calling them into the promised land. He was calling them out of slavery. He was calling them to something greater. And this was their first challenge, their first major obstacle. How do we cross a big, deep, fast river? And the answer was his faithfulness. And God calls them to remember that. To mark his faithfulness. That they'd been completely delivered and yet they were also called to remember. This is an important part of our faith. When I started remember, I referenced James one, that the testing of our faith, do you know that happens regularly? If not daily, if not hourly, the testing of our faith produces steadfastness or perseverance, as Pierce memorizes it in the NIV. The steadfastness will have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. It has been said that there is nothing that shapes a man like suffering. And yet it is when we face obstacles, trials, adversity, or even suffering that we see the provisions of the Lord, that we see the sufficiency of the Lord. And it's that that grows us up spiritually. It's that that pushes us towards perfection, towards completion, towards sanctification. If you want to be more like Jesus, you're going to be called to suffer. You're going to endure trials. You're going to endure temptations and struggles. I laughed with a guy this week we ate over lunch and he said, why is it that my wife and I get in a fight on the way to church every week? Welcome to the club. It's because the Christian life is not simple. We're called into trials and struggles. We're called into complexities. We're called into pain. And we're done so. He calls us into those things so that we might see our own weaknesses our own shortcomings, our own failures, that Christ might be exalted when we see his sufficiency and when we depend on him completely. And these are the moments that we're called to remember. Not my trophies, not my wins, but the places where I didn't believe and he came through. The places where I wasn't sure how it was going to work out, but he was enough. These are the things we're called to remember, verse 5. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder according to the number of the tribe of the people of Israel that this may be a sign among you. Now listen to this. That when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off, so these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. God's testimony of faithfulness wasn't just for them. It was for their kids and for their grandkids and for their great-grandkids and for their great-great-grandkids. And when people would walk by, hey, why are there a pile of rocks over here? Let me tell you about that pile of rocks. And you wouldn't believe how much we didn't understand, how much we didn't know what God was going to do. And he did something so amazing. He was so faithful. He was so good. He was so sufficient. He carried us through all of it. It becomes a testimony to God's faithfulness, not our perseverance. Friends, as we work through this book of Joshua, as God is calling them from slavery to the promised land, he put a big, unsurmountable obstacle in front of them, and it will happen in your life too. And as we continue in this book, we will watch challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge, all of which which will seem entirely impossible in human effort, all of which might even seem stupid in view of human effort. You don't believe me? Wait till next week. When the battle plan is not prepare your men, it's, hey, let's circumcise everybody. Let's make it clear who it is. It's God that is at work. And as we consider this Joshua 3 and 4, there are three challenges to us, and the first of which is to be prepared. That we're called to know His Word and to know His promises so that we can walk in accordance with His promises because they're true. And we can walk in active obedience to His promises because of who He is and what He's declared to be true and that we remember the times when he has been so gracious to us and that we create something. We'd be remiss if we walked through this and didn't get this as a pile of stones. It was an unavoidable thing they created so that people would ask about it. I taught through Joshua years ago and I college did go, oh, so I should get a tattoo. No? Baby? Dad, why would you get that t- tattoo? Well, let me tell you what God did in my life. I don't think it was the best application, but he got somewhere with it. We're to create things in our lives for our kids to wonder about, to consider, to think about, so that we can testify to God's faithfulness. It's the reminder to us as parents and to you as grandparents or in any place that God has put you in your life, with kids to share your testimony with them, that they would hear stories of God's faithfulness, of how you didn't know that God would get you through all of this and he did. It's God's point here, is that the generations of faithfulness would get passed on. Let me pray for us. We'll be finished. Father, as we lean into your word this morning, Father, you led Joshua. You were at work in Joshua. Father, you were blessing Joshua. You had your hand on Joshua, and you took him into situations that rattled him, that shook him up, things that weren't comfortable or easy or simple, just like you do to all of us. And yet, Father, when we consider the faith of this man, he knew your word, and he believed in you. Father, would you give us the confidence not in ourselves, not in our strengths, not in our abilities, but, Father, your confidence, a confidence in you, in your strength, in your power, in your help, that we could live with some expectation that you're going to empower us to love our neighbors, to love our kids, that you're going to give us what we need to face every moment. And if it requires the stopping up of a river, And the walking across dry ground, God, you're willing. Father, may we walk in obedience to you and in your text. And Father, may we remember the abundant grace you've given us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.